Ever feel like life, family, and even church can get a little out of control? We're here to make real life simple. Welcome to the Rest of George Podcast. Well, we're joined today by uh, William Vanderblumen. Uh, William, certainly one of the best last names out there in the church ministry world uh, and one of the most difficult to spell, but it keeps coming up on Google for you, doesn't it? That's precisely right. I think I've shared with you, I don't know if your audience knows, but our company, which bears my name, is not because I need some like memorial to my last name. I've always hated my last name. It it literally means uh, of the flowers, which mm. when you're a middle school boy, you know, flower boy is not really, it doesn't work. <laughs> uh, That's right. <laughs> but, but when we started the company, they were like, yeah, we gave them all these domain names to look at and said, can't name it after me, pick from these. And we, I mean, we probably had 300 domain names. And they said, actually, your last name is so messed up you can misspell it into Google a hundred different ways and it'll, it'll work. So we, we just went with my messed up last name. What a gift. That's that's fantastic for you. Okay, well, for our listeners who do not know you, would you just give us a 30 seconds, uh, you know, back of the book jacket intro to, to William? Sure. Sure. I, I tell people I'm long-winded. I'm a recovering uh, pastor. Mm. And so I ramble on and on. Uh, but after 15 years in ministry, mostly as a senior pastor or lead pastor, and, and that's churches ranging from a normal size of 140 in attendance to the last church I served was about 5,000 adults and a couple thousand kids and a school and the whole thing. Mm. Uh, after 15 years of that, I uh, went through a divorce, which I would not recommend. Uh, and I don't think I'd put it on the back of a book jacket, but you know, podcasters get a little longer thing, I guess. And uh, that put me in the corporate world, which was, uh, I'm a single dad with four kids. And uh, I worked in an oil and gas company and uh, worked in their HR department, helped them as they worked through a succession of their CEO who'd been there nine years. And it was a large company. So that's a long, long time for a CEO. Mm. Uh, In about 90 to 100 days, they named the new CEO. And 10 years later, he's still there. Wow. And I came out of a church where, you know, this last large church that I served, um, they took almost three years to find me. And I was there six or a little less. They took about two and a half to find my successor. So 11 and a half year span and probably half the time with a pastor and half the time without. I'm like, what in the world? Why can't the church have something as good as what the business world has? So, right. Came home, Adrian and I just gotten married, told her I thought we, I should quit my job and start something new for churches, and uh, she said, that's that's because uh, churches love new ideas, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, and uh, actually, she was supposed to say, baby, go back to work, but she said, let's try it. So we did, and that was uh, the fall of 2008, which was a brilliant time to quit your job mm-hmm. and start a small business. And... Uh, here we are now. We help churches find their key staff. Uh, most of the time, it's sort of pastoral level staff, and uh, most of the time within that, it's a senior pastor or someone that reports right to them. And we've worked all over the world, mostly in the U.S., mostly Protestant, uh, and mostly with churches. We do some work for Dave Ramsey or for Compassion or World Vision or you know a lot of a lot of folks, and and I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of churches kind of in your world and uh, really appreciate what you're doing at real life and 
just kind of the witness you're bearing out there. It's it's creating ripples that go farther than you than you know. Well, thank you. That's very kind. Well, I I, I appreciate your your podcast and all the work that you guys do for churches. And I want to talk specifically about uh, your latest book that has just recently come out called Culture Wins. And this is such a a growing topic for organizations and certainly for churches to really figure out not just what they do, but how they do it. And as you talk about often, that the millennials specifically, um, they're not going to do the job just for the job's sake. They want to be around people they enjoy and in a culture that they enjoy, uh, where, where your parents and my parents would just stick it out for 30 years. Um, the new generation will not, and they'll often bail, not out of disloyalty, but just out of, I need to spend my days in a place I enjoy more than what I'm doing right now. So would you tell us a little bit about uh, kind of why you chose to write about this and what you're seeing right now when it comes to culture in the workplace? Well, I need, I need to get you to write the next book. That was so well said. There's, there's a lot <laughs> to it. It's not a book necessarily about millennials or for millennials. Uh, frankly, it's a book I kind of got talked into writing. Um, we, you know, when I started the firm, it was me and Adrian said, if you ever get a client, I'll send the invoice out. So, <laughs> you know, that's like Proverbs 31 all over, right? right. Uh, but uh, she was wonderfully supportive and, and our and our dog was a good listener, Moses. Um, <laughs> and that was it. And, you know, it was, the staff meetings where it was just me, it was kind of refreshing. Everybody got along when it's a staff meeting of one. Right. Uh, <laughs> Most days. Yeah. Right, exactly. And uh, if you don't, don't tell anybody. Right. But, uh, you know, as we added people, we looked up and realized we really like working together. And it was built from the ground up. And I was pretty burnt on the whole 10-year strategic plan thing that I'd been doing in church, which is necessary. But I just was like, I don't want to do that. You know, and, and this, this thing that we were building was growing very, very fast. Uh, too fast to do any kind of strategic plan for any number of years. And so we sort of stumbled into saying, instead of talking about trying to predict the future, let's talk about how we do our work together. And that led to a process that we sort of invented along the way. You know, it's like jump out of the plane and build the parachute on the way down. Mm -hmm. And uh, it led to us forming uh, nine cultural values that, that help us describe how we do our work. Uh, not the what we're going to do or when we're going to do it, but how do we do this together? And then uh, go forward a little bit farther, just a couple years, and we started winning all these awards at the same time. And, and it was stuff that we weren't really gaming or trying to trying to win. It was, uh, let's see how we do on a best places to work survey. And we end up number six in the city of Houston. And then the next year we end up number three and we win top company culture for Entrepreneur Magazine. And we won best office space. We won best office dog, which is, I mean, so Texan to have a superlative for that. But uh, you know, it's it's it, it just kind of piled up. And people started saying, "Can you talk about this?" And my Forbes editor said, "Can you write about this in your column?" And and people said, "Can you write a book about this and uh, how you did all this?" And we all looked around on our team at each other and said, "How did we do all this?" Uh, I mean, it was kind of intuitive leadership, right? It was just figure it out as you go. And so we went back and we looked at what we had done, sort of reverse engineer. And uh, we said, well, we could tell this story. And then we looked at the books that were out there about culture. And we realized, you know, 
there are a lot of good books. Google has an awesome book about culture, and uh, Zappos does, and the Ritz-Carlton. There are a bunch of them, but but nearly all of them that I would want to read are books that are about a particular company and nothing else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we tried to blend. We went and interviewed somewhere between 100 and 150 CEOs of companies that had won culture awards. Mm-hmm. And we said, let's blend together a narrative of our journey, what we're learning along the way, and what we picked up on from interviewing all these other folks, which included a couple churches. We talked to North Point extensively, talked to Dave Ramsey extensively. We talked to so some kingdom-minded businesses and then some totally secular ones to say, are there common themes here to building what we call, I think the subtitle of the book is, The Roadmap to Building an Irresistible Workplace. Mm. And, and and the more it's one of those things. I don't know if you you've written a lot of good sermons, and uh, I, I don't know. I only wrote a few, but when I did, the more I got into them, the more I wanted to preach them. Mm-hmm. You know, you just kind of, and and that's kind of how the book got. It, you know, the more I wrote it, the, I want to go rewrite the thing now. I'm like more fired up now than ever about the whole thing because I think, as you so rightly pointed out, this generation that is now flooding the workforce is interested in far more than 30 years in a gold watch or what's my paycheck and the people and the churches that will focus on building an irresistible workplace or a company culture or whatever lingo you want to use those are the those are the ones that will rise to the top and attract and keep the best talent well that's so well said let me ask you specifically about some of the things that hurt uh culture and we can we can narrow this down to the church if you want to but Obviously, there's there's extremes. You know, you can if I asked you what's the worst thing that can happen in church culture, well, we could list some of those things. You know, pretty easily. What's the most subtle negative things that happen in church culture? People really don't see it initially, but then they wake up a few years down the road and they think, I don't really like working here. What are those subtle things? That is such a good question, man. Uh, and you know. Uh, I'm partial to it's the subtle things that kill us, right? Uh, I I love in the old King James, which no one reads anymore, it's fine. But when they talk in Genesis about the serpent that the devil chose to use, right? The King James says, Now the serpent was the subtlest of beasts. (laughs) That's a good word. (laughs) It's just very subtle. Sin always happens one degree at a time, right? Mm. And I think. I think the way culture falls apart or vision or it's it's very similar to vision you hear vision leaks culture leaks like over time people forget why we do what we do and every pastor's got sermon illustrations about why do we do it the way we've always done it or the seven last words of the church but it's true for culture as well Uh, you can fall into the pattern of doing the same thing over and over and not know the why behind it and if you haven't memorialized the why, and if you haven't talked as a group about why you're memorializing these things and why they matter, why you have core values mm. for your staff that are particular to your staff and the way you as a staff get ministry done, if you don't memorialize that, it'll leak into whatever just sort of happens over time. Uh, it, it also happens if you're successful, culture subtly gets harder and harder. Mm. Like if you look in Fortune or Forbes or Inc. or any one of the magazines that rank top company cultures, they always have small business, midsize, large, jumbo, or you know some smattering of different categories. I, I thought they were doing that to the advantage of small businesses. Like how in the world can I compete with Google, right? Right. 
What I didn't understand was, if you look at the raw scores, if everybody takes the same test for my company culture is great, look at the raw scores, the larger the company, the lower the score. Hmm. So, you know, that's why they have super large company categories, because they would never be able to compete against small companies. So why is that? Well, the more people you have, the harder it is to maintain a cohesive culture. So Hmm. if you're successful at your church and you grow, you're going to face a challenge of keeping culture. And a lot of people take their eye off that ball and look up and you've added, hey, we added, we had four campuses, we adopted three churches. I think you were telling me you've experienced some of this yourself. You've got to merge church cultures. And if you don't pay attention very intentionally to who's going to be the custodian and of your core values and how they're driven through the organization, uh, you can look up all of a sudden and have a lot of cultural confusion. Right. Wow, that's so true. Let me ask you um, specifically uh, to that. When a church grows or an organization grows, and you can even see this maybe in a blended family when that it grows suddenly, um, what is it that, I mean, you talk about these small companies becoming big companies. How, how can they keep that mentality of a great culture? Because suddenly you can't all go to lunch together. You yeah, can't. No you can't all do the same things together. And so, what was natural that it was, a, you know, culture became a byproduct of the the working together. Now you're on multiple campuses. You're in multiple offices. There's people upstairs, downstairs. How do, how do you maintain all that when your family turns into an organization? That is so good. And I was just talking to Tim Stevens, my colleague here at Vanderblumen, and he. Uh, was saying one of the biggest pivot points for them as a staff at Granger when he was there was when they had finally upstairs people and downstairs people. Right. It was like a, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Uh, it, let me back up the truck just a little bit. And, and if it isn't clear already, uh, say to your listeners, I'm talking not about your church's core values, right? I'm talking about your staff's core values, right? which I think are a little bit different than your company's core values. I think they ought to be how we get our work done together as a staff, and and that that will be different. And and as you grow, how does that scale, if you will? Mm. Um, I think it's through intentionality because you're exactly right. When we were in our first office, actually the first office we had was a, a room in my house on a card table. But um, mm. <laughs> as we moved to a place that actually had a desk, and that turned into renting the room next to it and three or four rooms, this tiny little office we had everybody knew exactly what was going on with everybody. <laughs> like, like we had one intern that didn't go to the bathroom the whole summer because he was afraid that everybody would know what was going on with everybody. <laughs> so <laughs> he would go to the restaurant across the street. It was pretty awesome. But, oh, that's um, good. <laughs> yeah. And, and now we've got people around the corner and people over here and people on the road and people, are they here or not? And how do you, you know, it's the same question. And what we found and stumbled into total, you know, just fell into good grace, but we've grabbed hold of it and made it real is you've got to have, again, memorialized cultural values. And then on top of that, you've got to have a person on your staff who part of their paid job is driving culture through the organization. They need to be reviewed on it. They need to be compensated on how well they're doing that. And and that leads to things like keeping a calendar for cultural events, not just fun events. That leads to setting up reading lists for cultural values. That leads to all sorts of things that happen company-wide. We call ours the culture whip. 
you know. kind of like in in the legislature. You know, you have a, a minority whip and majority whip, and their job is to whip the party into shape. It's it's uh, I guess it's the Frank Underwood of culture. You know, it's the the whip that keeps us wow. on task. <laughs> that may be the first House of Cards reference on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if anybody'd understand. Oh man, I've heard I've heard things. Yeah. Yeah, just pray for me. That's of all. course. <laughs> but but you know, having a person and not a volunteer, like a person, you said, and it starts simple. With us, it was, hey, Katie, can you give us five hours a month toward driving culture throughout? Now it's a new Katie, by the way. But our new Katie uh, spends probably thirty percent of her whole job is culture. And I interviewed one person at a software company called HubSpot, which is a software we use and a great place to work, best place in Boston to work for a number of years running. Uh, she is the chief culture officer at this company of 2000, and she has a team that just does culture. And and you say, well, that's a lot of money to spend. It's a lot of time, and we've got other things that need to happen. I, I guarantee you, spending the time on culture when it's done well and intentionally will increase the efficiency and the dollars that are spent on your staff because you're not going to lose your good staff. Mm, that's true. That's so good. And I think I've heard you say once before that, and you even mentioned it earlier in this podcast, that the days of the 30-year employee are done. Your goal now shifts towards, I, I just need to keep them a year longer than they would normally stay. Exactly. Exactly. And and that gets back to your insights on millennials of, you know, it's not all about millennials. This is a book for everybody. But the reality is the two biggest sectors, if you divide the workforce into three segments, millennials, baby boomers, and the people in between, the baby boomers are retiring very fast. Everybody knows that the millennials are coming on the scene really fast. Everybody knows that except for some of the millennials parents who are like, will you please quit sleeping in the garage and go get a job? <laughs> but but the middle part, the me part, the mid 40s, yep. they're just not very many of us. Right. Like they're like by birth rate, there aren't many. Right. So if you fast forward 10 years, you're going to see the baby boomers going off the scene more and more. You're going to still see fewer of us and you're going to see a groundswell of millennials. So and it's not just about for 10 years from now. It's like right now understanding this generation and how they function is the key to success for any organization, churches, businesses, nonprofits, because they, they do tend to move around. And, and if you think about it, uh, Barna did an interesting study some years back. He asked the question, so let's ask people born in every decade, pretend you're 22 years old, what would you want to have accomplished by the time you're 35? Okay? Mm. So... Nearly every decade up until the millennials, they all had different answers, but there were five common answers among all decades. Okay, It was, I want to get married by the time I'm 35. I want to have a house by the time I'm 35. I want to start a family by the time I'm 35. I want to be in a career track by the time I'm 35. And I want to have some financial stability. Uh, of those five, there was only one that showed up in the millennials' answers. And that was financial stability. Hmm. I guess Dave Ramsey's working. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> but 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 what that tells me is when you employ millennials, we're probably seventy-one or two percent of our office is millennials. You're more than likely going to have somebody who's not married. Mm -hmm. uh, if they're married, they don't have kids yet. Uh, they don't own a home yet. So all the moorings of permanence and all the things that would drag them back home from work are not there. Their home and their family 
is the people they work with all day. Wow. So if you don't create a place they want to be, they'll go find a new place because right. it's their whole life. And the people who will create a place that's like, look, we're going to figure this out. We're going to create an irresistible workplace. Man, they're going to keep people. And it's not going to be we kept them 30 years. It's going to be I kept them four years instead of two. Right. I kept my student pastor five years instead of 18 months. I, just <laughs> a little bit longer will make all the difference in you know, your efficiency as an organization, your impact for the kingdom, uh, kind of your kingdom P&L will go up, if you will. Right. Oh, that's good. Okay, let me shift to, uh, let's say I'm listening to this podcast and I'm not on staff at a church, but I, I definitely impact the culture because I'm a volunteer, I'm an elder, I'm a leader in some capacity. When we talk about, I mean, obviously there's church, I'm not talking about church values, I'm talking about kind of the, the staff values for the leadership of the church. We all feel this way. We believe this. This is how we get work done as, as a church, so to speak. How can a volunteer impact the church culture? Mm, that's so good. I think uh, a key volunteer, I mean, you're, you're a smart leader, so you guys probably do this, but you treat your key volunteers almost like a hire. Mm-hmm. Like you, you interview for it. You don't just do the cattle call of, Come on, come all. We need some more childcare workers. Like that's, I did that. That's bad. I, I'm guilty. Uh, and it usually happens in August. When you're <laughs> short, <laughs> right? That's right. <laughs> but you're 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 interviewing for culture as much as you are for competency. Hmm. You know. So, so what do I mean by that? Well, if you've got your core values as a church. Then, you know, as a volunteer, if you're listening right now and you're like, how can I get a hold of those values and say, how can I lift them up? Mm-hmm. How can I live out those values very cleanly? And at our company, we compensate based on how well you're living out the cultural values. Uh, that doesn't affect volunteers very much, but like it's the it's the ball game. Mm. Uh, the other thing I would say, Rusty, is one one piece that I wish we could have lifted out more in the book that is there, but but has just gotten so clear over the time uh, we've written it, is there really two layers to cultural uh, winning. And and one is just basic cultural health. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's got to have these vital signs right. We found eight categories of vital signs that have to be in place for a church culture, a staff culture, a leadership culture to work. And they're universal. And rather than try and make people memorize them or figure out whether they work or not, we actually built an online assessment tool that's totally free. Uh, and volunteer, you can go take it as an individual right now. And, and you can see what your perspective of how the, the workplace is in these eight areas matches up with the industry standards that we found through extensive testing. Uh, and you can do it as a church staff. And, and then we've got a, a – you might put your whole volunteer team through it to say hmm. – how does the team feel we're doing in these eight areas of baseline culture? Uh, so there's there's baseline culture, and uh, you can take that assessment. I, I can give you the website without sounding shameless. But, no, uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, it's theculturetool.com. It's pretty cool. If you take the individual and it takes you, literally, it's about 60 seconds. It's just a bite-sized thing and shoots out a, a graph for you right away. Mm. Uh, the the full staff one, you know, you, you got to get everybody to take it and all that. But theculturetool.com will give you that baseline. And then if, you're, if your uh, church that you're volunteering at is uh, astute enough to have developed staff cultural values, I would say, how do I latch on to these? And if I don't fit with these, 
then let me not try and be the lead volunteer. Let me find people that do fit these and raise them up mm. because it, you can't coach culture. Right. That's good. Well said. All right. I, one more question for you before we get into the personal stuff. <laughs> uh, and that is, all right, let's say I'm working at a church or even an office, uh, you know, at a, in an organization besides a church. And I get the culture. People around me get the culture. But the person I report to is constantly violating that culture we're trying to set. And they're even trying to preach it, but they're not living it. What do I do? Yeah, is their name Pastor? (laughs) (laughs) It might be. (laughs) That's hard. That's really hard. In fact, one of the reasons, uh, when you know, when you write a book, they say, who are you writing to? And not an audience, but a person, right? Mm -hmm. And so we got to pick two. Uh, One was the CEO or the senior pastor of a church or a business or an organization. The second was a millennial that's working for or volunteering at that organization that, that has enough of the ear of the senior pastor just hand him the book and say, man, I just read this. This is awesome. Mm. And so I would just, and this, it sounds like a plug, but it is why we wrote the book was same with the book on succession. It was just, let's just start a conversation here, read this and that'll lead to a conversation. Uh, but, but many times, uh, if the culture is toxic, it, there's a direct line back to a person that's tangent from the, the culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I wish I had a clean way of saying, and if you just tell them these three easy steps, they'll change and everything will be fine. Mm. Uh, but it, it usually doesn't work that way. And, uh, you know, if it's somebody working for you, it, it we're terrible at firing in the church. Right. I mean, Jesus wouldn't have fired anybody, right? I mean, no. there was the one tree that he didn't let produce fruit, but mm-hmm. that's all, that's like a one-off, right? Right. He, he doesn't fi- Well, he does. And... Uh, you know, if you've got somebody underneath you that's not working out culturally, chances are it's time to have a long talk with them about whether or not they can fit in and put them on a path. Because it's it's kind of like, I mean, it's the old lesson my friend Sam Chan taught me. He said, you know, if you went to the doctor, Rusty, and you got your physical, and he said, you know, everything looks good, totally clean scan. We did find a spot on your shoulder, and uh, the bad news is it is cancerous. Uh, but we can get it out, and uh, you can come back in six months, and we can do the surgery. Or I had a cancellation just now, and we can do it right now. Well, what are you going to choose? Mm-hmm. Right now. Well, Sam says he tells that stories at, past- at pastors conferences, and pastors literally get up and leave and get on their cell phone, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and start firing <laughs> people. Bloodletting of the kingdom, yeah, it's bad. But that's if somebody's working for you. If you're working for someone who's not reflecting that, it may mean that you have to look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. It may mean because if you're not, it's not your job to unseat the anointed. Sorry, mm. you know, is it your job to make sure there's, you know, accountability? Well, there's probably structures for that, but it's not your job to go doing that. And uh, short of handing the book and hoping it works out, if you're really running into a wall and they're not mirroring the values it may be time for you to say you know what there is one church with many locations Mm -hmm. it's one kingdom and maybe i need to be redeployed so that i can find a leader that i am aligned with and i can serve better right and uh, that's not a call to go quit your job but it it is a a warning to not try and change your leader too much Mm -hmm. that's good that's really good okay well give us a website you gave us one 
of thecultureTool.com. Where can people find out more about what you guys do and resources that you have? Yeah, no, I'd love for him to go to vanderblumen.com, and you really can, like we said in the beginning of the podcast, just spell it however you want in Google. It'll it'll get there. Okay. Vander, yeah, vanderblumen.com, and there are, I just got a count yesterday, we just crossed 2,000 free resources on that site for stuff you didn't learn in seminary or Bible college about how to run a staff meeting or review people or you know, all, all right. those kind of things. A lot of volunteer materials as well. So, that's great. Yeah, VanderBlumen.com. That's great. Okay, I'm going to ask you the same three questions you ask everybody that's on your podcast because I think these are perfect. Uh, <laughs> the first one is, what's a book that you've been reading that you uh, are really enjoying? Uh, right now on my bedside table, uh, I have the advantage of knowing these questions, um, is Leonardo da Vinci. Oh, yeah. By uh, Walter Isaacson. He's the guy who wrote the Steve Jobs uh, biography. It's a thick read. Uh, I just finished John Adams earlier this year. We took the girls, our teenage girls, to see uh, the play. Mm. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry, not John Adams, uh, Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. And uh, that was great. Uh, but I'm really enjoying Isaacson. Now, he's kind of wooden and he's got his own style, but Da Vinci was an amazing guy and mm-hmm. uh, really am enjoying that. That's good. Okay. What's an app you've been enjoying lately? Uh, so guilty pleasure or productivity? Let's let's hear them both. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. So productivity is anything in the Google library. Like I use, we use Google Sheets, Google Docs, all that. And I'm just using that more and more and more, whether it's at home for a shopping list or Adrian and I have been playing a hand of gin for the last year, and she's ahead 824 to 748, and we got a running total, or uh, just productivity with our, our sales, our marketing, our searches, so anything in the Google suite, the G suite. Um, on the guilty pleasure side, this sounds so dated, it's old, but I got there late. Uh, the simple little game, 2048, I'm just hopelessly finding myself wasting time playing that. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> that's good. All right, uh, last one. Uh, give us an on-stage mistake or faux pas. Oh my gosh, there are so many, and this one I am kind of stuck on because there's just so many options. Uh, you know, everybody goofs with the language every now and then. Uh, you forgot the mic was on, and you said something you shouldn't have. Right. Um. You know, I think that. Uh, Maybe one of the worst goofs that comes to mind was uh, served. So I'm, I'm from a traditional church, right? I, I grew up in a Presbyterian church. It's robes, like the whole deal. Mm-hmm. And communion was really formal. Like only the elders could serve communion or Lord's Supper or Eucharist or whatever your uh, listeners call it. And our, one of the first times I was uh, serving, you know, communion, um, big silver trays we did the little shot glasses kind of like southeast christian has the holy cow right 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 so so big silver trays big lid and i uh dropped the lid to the communion on the marble floor of the church (laughs) and it bounced down all the stairs and then, of course, it did the, whoop, 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 oh. <laughs> the hubcap thing, and everybody's just dying laughing, and then I cuss into my microphone. Oh, <laughs> oh that's good. <laughs> the sacred moment was a little bit ruined, but uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, that's really good. You got to admit, there's probably there were probably some uh, swear words in the upper room by some of those uh, those <laughs> rough disciples. You know, they made some mistakes. So I think you're okay. Well, buddy, I so appreciate your time and really appreciate what you're doing for the church, the Capital C Church. You're blessing a lot of pastors and churches, and you won't probably ever know the amount of uh, impact that you're having until the other side. But uh, just know from one pastor to another, I'm grateful. So thank you for your time and for all that you're doing, and hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks, Rusty. Really appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much for listening. If you would, take a moment and share this with somebody who might benefit from it. And if you have even more time, sit down and write a review on this on iTunes. It really does help a lot. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next month.